Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Okay, Rob Alkema and Dave Ness here, about to do another episode of the Better Life podcast. Rob, thanks for being here. As always, thank you. As always. So today, we've got an interesting topic. Today, we want to talk about passion. And uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, passion's a tricky thing when it comes to your work. And I'll start off by giving a story of one of our agents that we call advisors. And I had a great coffee breakfast with this particular gentleman and just love spending some time with them. And we really didn't talk about much of anything real estate wise until the very end. I mean, really, we were just catching up and just talking about life and kids and what it means to be a dad and just really getting to know each other better, which was so fun. And, and I love doing that with our community on an ongoing basis. But yeah, towards the end, it was maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of our time together. This gentleman, you'll love this. This gentleman looked at me and he goes, hey, man, can I just share something with you? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, what's going on? You know, it was kind of towards the end. And I was thinking, God, I don't really have a lot of time left. And, you know, where's this going to go? And what's he going to say? And he goes, yeah, I just got to get this off my shoulders. I actually don't like love real estate. And this guy is like a top performer, right? He's, he's off to an amazing start. He's got a yep. you know, great future ahead of him. And, and I looked at him and I said, yeah, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, it kind of caught him off guard and add some levity to the situation. But but it was interesting because this kicked off like another 20 minutes of our coffee time together. But you weren't just saying that. No, I wasn't just saying that. Yeah. like, And we're going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for clarifying that for the listeners, particularly the listeners that are part of our community. Right, right. right? That might come a shock like, oh, you know, of course, Dave loves real estate, is passionate about real estate, has been doing it for 20 years. You know, he found his passion in the world, right? Yeah. And that actually is not true, sadly. Which is crazy because you've been in real estate for how long now? Yeah, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, 20 years. That's crazy. So it's 19 and a half. So you're telling me you're not passionate about real estate, but you've built this unbelievable career over the last 20 years, have one of the top 1,000 brokerages in the entire country. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's it's kind of trippy when you think about it, you yeah. know? And I hope that the listeners right now are going, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Like, how, how's that possible? And are you a, a closet depressed dude that just goes home and cries every day? <laughs> no, the answer is, is absolutely not. Nor do I feel like I'm in prison or I have to do this or this is what I promised my family. I don't feel any of that at all. And so I want to unpack why. And it's because... I basically told this gentleman that we had coffee together. I said, hey, man, can I, let me tell you a story. It's a real story. It's actually happened. This is probably, what was it, seven or eight years ago, something like that. I was in Cherry Creek where we're sitting recording this episode, actually, in the same space. And here we sit. And we're about a block away, there's a Starbucks. Okay. It's on Phil Warren in second. And I was having a pretty intense day. And I thought, you know what? I just need to kind of cut out and get away and decompress and just take a hot 45 minutes just to be by myself, basically. So I grab a journal and a pen and I walk over, I get an afternoon coffee and I just sit. And the thought that came to my mind was this idea of passion. And it was something that I had heard a lot about. It's something that my dad even used to say things like, the world needs more people that are passionate about what they do. Mm. Or maybe you've heard this, or maybe listeners have heard this. How does that go? Uh, 
Oh, if you're passionate about what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's right. You know, yep. the, the classic bumper sticker, you yeah. know, it's this whole idea of passion. And I think it's probably even more heightened today because there's so many mission driven companies like about the, about the environment or about slave trade, you know, like kids trade, you know, all this stuff that, that is out there and it's just awful. And you get involved in that and it's like, yes, this is what I was born to do, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. But there's a dark side to that. There's actually a dark side to that messaging. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is it left, it leaves people like me back eight years ago feeling lost. Oh, right. Like you're somehow less than because yes. you haven't totally gotten clarity on what your passion is. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I get yeah, that. just to round out that visual. So I'm sitting there at this coffee at the Starbucks and I'm, I'm trying to write down notes about what my passion might be. And I started to take an inventory of all the jobs and all the engagements that I've ever had. And, you know, I was thinking back and I was like, back in the day, I sold books door to door. So did you. And that's our, that's Rob and I's background back in, back in college. And I thought to myself, I can't really say that I was passionate about educating the children of America. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, of course I care. And that's a good thing. And I wanted to do my job really well. And I wanted to execute at a high level. And I did and made great money. It was amazing. Then I, then I went into oil trading and I was an oil trader, had like six screens around me. And- well, and hold on time out because I don't know much about like your oil trading career, yeah. right? Or before we partnered up, I don't know where you ranked in different brokerages. But what I do know is like when you were selling books all those years, you did what, six or seven summers of that? Yeah, six. Yep. Yeah. And I know at least one of those because you were just talking about this the other day. You were, I think you were the number two producer in the education division that year. Yes. Which... I was the first loser. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Which at that time, the education division was about 1,500, 2,000 students that did the internship. Yeah. It was about so again, I just, I interrupt you and I want to pause on that for a second because it's like, hold on a second. You weren't passionate about education or selling books door to door. Yeah. And yet you were number two out of a couple thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. It was looking back. I didn't know this now, but looking back, it really wasn't necessarily about the job. It wasn't about the work. It wasn't about actually selling books. It was truly about the freedom and the amount of latitude that it gave me for nine months out of the year. Because it was a summer internship for 90 days, three to three months. Yep. I was deeply passionate <laughs> about the ability to do what I wanted, when I wanted, all year long. And, you know, one of my favorite things was getting back from the summertime. And I'd walk into my the house that I lived in with six other guys. And they'd all be planning the first football game and all this kind of stuff and all these trips, you know, kayaking and stuff like that. And I would just go, hey, guys, whatever you plan this year, I'm in. (laughs) And they're like trying to figure out, you know, how how much are the hotels and how are we going to get there and how much is the gas? And like, don't care. I'm in. Like, just just count me in. And they got the gist of that over the years. It's like, yeah, NASA's always in. Now, now that's interesting because that's very different because it's a three-month sprint. Yeah once a year, which is very different from a long-term career that potentially has no end in sight. Yeah. So Yeah, true. Very true. So you're taking this inventory of all the work that you've done over the years. Yep. So I'm sitting there taking this inventory, talked about selling books, got into oil trading and (laughs) did that for about now. So I have four years, three or four years, something like that. And I looked at that and said, was I really passionate about making sure that when Joe Smith pulls up to the gas pump, that there's gas in the gas pump, like not, right. not really, I don't care about that. And then all these things, all these things that I was involved in, all these even non-job related sports, all this stuff. And then I started thinking, oh gosh, am I passionate, like deeply rooted, passionate about real estate? 
And I guess I hope that none of our clients are listening to this right now because it'll come across really bad. But the truth is, I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't then and I'm still not. Right. So I'm sitting there at the Starbucks and I'm feeling like maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm just a good silver tongue sales guy. <laughs> so good. Maybe I'm full of BS. Maybe I need to, you know, go and get counseling, therapy, professional coaching, whatever, and find my passion. Right. Yeah. So I, I kind of closed my notebook at Starbucks there at the table and grab my half drunk latte or whatever it was and start walking back. Kind of honestly, like heavy, like pretty not depressed, but I, I think I was just really heavy. And I got to the bottom of the staircase. There's like 10 steps that come up to the front door of our office. And man, it was a moment. It was a divine moment. I'm not like, that's no joke. It was actually a a really meaningful, clear moment of clarity. Call it divine. And, you know, it was as if the clouds parted, you know, the the sun started started shining through. It was as if there were some doves in a tree and they like flapped out and flew into the air. And the reason why is because I had this realization in my mind, it was so powerful and so clear. And the realization was this, nope, I'm not passionate about what I do, but I'm passionate, committed to who I do it with and how we go about doing it. Yeah. And the it turns out for me, doesn't really matter. There's implications for the it, the subject matter. But for me, I just looked back and I went, you know what? It's very true that I was unbelievably passionate about the people that I worked with when I sold books door to door and how we went about doing that. And then after that, when I got into oil, I was like, do I really passion about being an oil trader? I really wasn't. But the people in that office and how we went about doing that unbelievably deeply moved and passionate about them and still friends with them actually. And then in real estate, like, man, who we work with, who we get to work with, who we get to be honored to work with and the people that we look up to and the people that we lead and the people that we get to interact with on a day-to-day basis and kind of do life together. And the way in which we do that, the how is unbelievably motivating. And that is my passion. So I've, and this is one of the reasons you and I connected so well when we started talking about potentially partnering together, because the two things I told you when we had that first conversation over the phone, I was like, Hey, listen, I'm not that interested in real estate, but there's two things that I care deeply about and whatever it is I do next. Yep. And they were literally the exact two things that you just said. I don't care what I'm doing, but I care about who I'm doing it with and knowing that I can trust those people. And they're the kind of people that I can learn from. I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room. And I want people that are going to challenge me and bring out the best in me. And then secondly, whatever we're doing, I want to be working to be the best at it. Mm -hmm. And if we're not, I'm not interested. Yeah. Right. To what you replied, dude, we need to talk more. We need to talk more. no, No surprise that we connected as well as we did. And then it's funny, I jotted down a note while you were just saying that. We sometimes gloss over this because it's so commonplace to us and has been for decades now. Yeah. But the fact that we're in an industry where we get to choose who we work with. Oh, yeah. We're not, I'm using air quotes here. We're not stuck. Yeah. With anybody. That's a huge deal getting to pick who you're in business with, who you're doing life with, who you're building a business. Yeah. With like what an That's super interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. As we build out the Thrive community, which is our community, but if you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, well, I'm not part of Thrive, that's totally fine. As you build out your community and, and if it's in real estate, great. And if it's in something else, great. But but that's a really cool yeah. mechanism that we get to enjoy is, is the ability to choose who we get to work with, which is important because it's which is one of the reasons it is my passion. Totally, which is one of the reasons that we're both unbelievably big believers in enrolling 
the teammates we have in the interview process Yeah, where it's like we're deciding by committee who gets in and who doesn't so that there's a voice, not just you deciding, not just me deciding, not just somebody else deciding, but it's a collective decision Yeah, because I think all of us, well, I don't know about all of us, but I would bet the vast majority of people at this brokerage also care deeply about who they're in business with. And how we go about doing it. That's right. That's pretty common. That that missional for us, very culturally driven Mm -hmm. community, which is big. Speaking of the community, another illustration, I think that makes a lot of sense with this messaging of your passion might be who and how and not what. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're going, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that, but that that's me. I identify similarly with that. I hope it's a huge relief because it was for me. It was a big relief to go because I was thinking, God, maybe I'm not a passionate guy. Maybe I haven't done due diligence and found my passion. Maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm full of shit, you know, maybe. And all these things was really heavy, actually. And so that hopefully, if you're going, I don't need to listen anymore. This is great. Like that. I think the same way. Yeah. Cheers. There's more of us like you out here. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that especially feel that way. Social media society. Yeah. There's this perception all around us that lots of people have this figured out. And if you're somebody <laughs> totally. who is struggling with that, I would just say that's just not real. I think there's more people than we realize yep. that they're struggling and working through what is my purpose? What is my calling? Yeah. Which is interesting because when you say there's probably more people like that, you and I actually, we took a poll. And we know there's more people like that. Oh, oh yeah. So, so, so talk about that. This remember is, that? This is so good. Yeah. So we, this we was were, what, two months ago? Yeah, this is a couple months ago. We were running a, a company meeting. We do a company meeting once a month. And we were actually talking kind of our, our mission and vision and values kind of gets wrapped up in this concept of helping people move to their better life. Everybody from clients to the vendors that we get to work with, our teammates, our support staff, ourselves, everybody, right? Our, you're right. Our families, families, yeah. friends, churches, sports teams, everything. Just moving people to their better life is kind of our our theme, right? And it was interesting because we were having a kind of an open dialogue in a room of about sixty people, about sixty five people, something like that. And um, I was curious if everybody in the room had a common theme, maybe or themes, plural of what a better life looks like. Because on the forefront, it sounds very individualistic. It sounds very private. sounds very custom, right? And so we started taking a poll of saying, hey, just curious, how many people in the room, part of your better life or a big part of your better life is spending more time with the people that matter to you the most and that you love the most? And literally every hand in the room went up. Every hand in the room went up, right? How many people in the room moving to your better life, or you could say your passion, how many people in the room, your passion is traveling to more interesting and compelling and exotic places that you haven't been before? Everyone in the room, hands raised. How many people in the room, your passion would be having a retreat for you and your family, mountain house, beach house, somewhere you could go and just kind of get away and just reconnect and, and chill out. Everybody's hand went up. How many people in the room's passion would be investing in real estate so that you could smooth out that crazy up and down of the commission world in real estate, everybody's hand up. Or, right, or just having passive income to retire. Passive income to retire, everybody's hands go up. Yep. On and on and on we went. It was, I think it was like eight, nine, 10 things. Everyone's hands, except for maybe one or two along the way, went up. And so you look at it and you go, oh, interesting. It turns out that most people's passion is not necessarily about what they're doing on yep. a day-to-day basis, but more about how what they're doing can move them or get them to their passion. That's right. And that's super interesting. Yeah. Because there's this whole like expectation and weight of, oh, yeah, you got to find your passion and then do it. 
even if you don't get paid, you should do it anyway. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So here we are. I don't know how many minutes into the podcast we are, but we have this theme of, hey, what is it when the listener is done with this podcast? What do you want them to take away? What's the goal mm-hmm. for today? Yep. And I'm curious if you have anything to add to this, but I wrote down two things before we launched the episode. The first thing was I wanted people to walk away from this relieved of the pressure of feeling like they have to love their work in order for it to be a great long-lasting career. Yeah. I and that. I think you're a perfect example of that. Yeah. And we could actually point to a lot of examples. We probably don't have time for all the stories of people we know and care about that yep. have a pretty similar story to you and I. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, if you're listening to this, by the time we wrap up, if you're not there yet, which is totally okay, I hope we help you get closer to connecting with your purpose and then connecting your purpose with your work, right? Yeah. And so the theme for today is, and I'm going to share this story here in a second, but the theme for today is the work you're doing being a job versus an occupation versus a vocation or a calling. Yeah. Right. Yep. Such a good delineation. Yeah. And regardless of how you look at the work you're doing, what I know to be a fact is whenever we can connect the things we're doing on a day-to-day basis to a larger meaning, to larger goals, yep. we're always going to feel more connected with the work and be more inspired to yeah. do the work and to do the work well, whether or not the work itself is a passion or not. Yeah. Right. And so if I can share this story, this may be a good episode title, The Three Bricklayers. Yes, that's yeah. right. I, lo- yeah. I love this story. It's so, so, so illustrative. So I'll just read this yeah. it's real quick. One paragraph. So one day in 1671, and here's the background. There was a fire in 1666 that leveled London. And this you know, is a true story. Yeah. yeah and a lot of, I always thought this was made up. Yeah. But yeah, leveled a lot of these buildings, including St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm. So then they went to work rebuilding this. And five years later, this guy, Christopher Wren, observed three bricklayers on a scaffold, one crouched, one half standing, and one standing tall, working very hard and fast. So to the first one, he says, what are you doing? To which that guy replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm working hard laying bricks to feed my family. That's the guy who's crouched down. Yep. Yeah. This is the job. Yeah. Right. The second bricklayer responded, I'm a builder. I'm building a wall. But the third bricklayer, the most productive of the three and the future leader of the group, when asked the question, what are you doing, replied with a gleam in his eye, I'm a cathedral builder. I'm building a great cathedral to the Almighty. Mm. And I like that story. But as we identified, there's this tendency to go, the guy just doing this to feed his family and it's only a job. Yep. There's a tendency to be like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the cathedral builder guy. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) it's like a cultural expectation, family expectation. Yeah. I feel like we missed the point of this story. If it's job is bad, like a job perspective of what you're doing for work is bad. Is bad. Occupation is better, but still not great. And cathedral builder is what you should be doing. And then good, better, best, you know, stupid. Yeah. They're all good. Yeah. They're all good. And I think one of the things we want to connect the dots on today is that I want to go back to what I said. You have to put in the work to connect with your purpose. Mm -hmm. And then as you're getting more and more clarity on that, notice I'm not saying figure it out because you're probably not going to figure it out right away. Yeah. You live into it. Yeah, it's like this hazy picture that that the resolution gets a little bit better, yeah. and a little bit better. And it gets revealed yeah. over time That's right. and through walking it out. Yeah. And then once you get a better idea of that, whatever you do know about your purpose, figuring out a way to connect that to your work. It doesn't need to be. So the cathedral builder, his work was synonymous with his calling. Mm-hmm. Right. But the occupation guy, while it was part of his identity, he wasn't necessarily saying, yeah, what God put me on this earth to do and why he gave me the skills and abilities he did. 
was because he wanted me to be a bricklayer and that was the ultimate expression of who I am. Right. Right. It's yeah. just, no, this is what I do for work and my identity, I identify as somebody who's a bricklayer. Mm-hmm. For the other guy, it was a means to an end, right? Which is, by the way, perfectly acceptable, right? And I think of a story of, I met my wife, Kia, yep. through the insurance world. Yep. And she had a, somewhat of a, I don't know what you want to call it, crisis breakdown. Yeah. About a year into her career, she's one of the top salespeople in the entire country. Things are going great. She's entered into leadership. She's trained several other top producing salespeople. On paper, everything's going great. And I'll just give you the really quick version. She actually took a leave of absence and almost walked away from that career entirely. Mm. And part of what she was stuck on is this idea of, I don't love the work of insurance. There's a lot of days I don't want to go do sale. I don't want to go sell insurance. Yeah, I don't, like like I, the actual tactical, practical things that you have to do in order right. to sell. Right. I don't yeah. like this. It's not my passion, whatever, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. And her mentor at the time pointed out to her, you don't have to love the work itself, but you do need to love what that work gets you. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she talked about was if she hadn't been doing that, some of the things that she was exploring were things like event planning or teaching. Yeah. And if you're an event planner or a teacher, her mentor pointed out to her, yeah. you don't have the same freedom that you have in this career where you can just take off in the middle of the afternoon at three o'clock and go do yoga. Right. Or you can decide you want to go work out of town for the next week. Just do it. You can go hit your sales goals in three days and spend the other three days riding your bike up in Vail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was figuring out, you don't have to love the work itself, but you do got to love what the work allows you to do. Yeah. And for her, that was enough. And here we are sitting here today in 2023. And that conversation happened back in 2005. So good. Or 2004. Yeah. Right. Like almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And she's been in that career ever since. She's less active now, has a huge client base, has had a ton of success. But again, built a multi-decade, ultra-successful, top 1% in company history in both sales and leadership. Without it being her passion. Bingo. Yeah. 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 And so that's what I want people to take away from this. Yeah. Is so good. Regardless of whether the work you're doing right now today is a job or an occupation or it is your calling, it doesn't have to be your calling to be great at it. And you're not bad. Don't feel guilty Mm -hmm. if you don't love the work. Yeah. It can still be awesome. It's yeah, it's so good. It's you think about those for the listeners, you think about those three levels or categories. They're not levels. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Those three categories of jobs, let's just say. You got job, you have occupation and vocation. And I hope you're catching what Rob was saying, what he's talking about in the analogy of the bricklayers, because again, there's this tendency, even in my own mind, (laughs) to diminish or somehow rank job, occupation, and vocation. But, But really, when you look at it, you go, well, there are people on the planet that get to do their vocation as their occupation. And Lord bless them. That's awesome. It's so good. My wife's one of them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually, just realizing this in the moment, right? We just need to have her on the podcast at some point. Absolutely. She's a therapist. And she actually does do it for free sometimes because she's so unbelievably passionate about it. And what's interesting about that, too, and maybe this is a different episode, so this doesn't go too long. But when it actually is your passion, it's also exhausting. Oh, right. Because it's harder to turn it off. It's harder to turn it off. Yeah, great point. And you're just so unbelievably invested in your occupation because your occupation is your vocation. 
that so for our listeners that are going, oh, I really want to find my vocation. Well, that's awesome if you really want to do that and make it your occupation. But be forewarned. It's not a walk in the park. It's heavy. It's hard. It's difficult when your occupation is your vocation. And if you're wondering, well, what are some of the other things that could be occupation and vocation together? I'm guessing probably doctors, pastors, pastors, maybe attorneys at some, you know, teachers, teachers for sure. Like it's heavy. It's hard. Go talk to these people and they go. Yeah, it's, it's not a cakewalk, but there are people, I guess I just want all the listeners to know, there are all people that their vocation is their occupation. That, that's amazing. And then there's other people like myself and you included that our occupation is not our vocation. So for us, building top tier real estate teams is our occupation. Yeah. And we do it, I think, really well. Uh, the, the numbers would suggest that we do. And it's the who and the how. Right. And who we get to work with to help build those teams is amazing. But that's not I don't fall asleep at night going, yep, this is why I was born into this world. This is why I'm here. It becomes here's what I want to communicate on this. For us, for Rob and I, our occupation becomes the theater in which we get to engage our vocation. Yeah. I'm nodding my head vigorously because I had this written down. I wanted to get into this concept. Yeah. The theater because. Let me share this because I was thinking through this before we jumped on the episode of, I think this is helpful. I don't know that I always had this figured out, but I do feel like a big part of my calling is helping connect the right people with the right environment Mm. to help them really utilize their strengths and talents to impact the world in a meaningful way Yeah, for them, right? Which is what I do for work. You like to create those connections. 100%. So the people are actually unlocked in some way. The joy of getting to know somebody and their backstory and what they're all about Mm. and why they're into the things they're into and why are they doing the things they're doing. It's just like that. Sometimes it's like the fact that I get to do this for a living is just incredible. Yeah. Right. And then I happen to be somewhat narrow in the sense that I'm in this one realm right now helping connect people, but I was in a different realm before this doing the exact same work for for a lot of the same reasons. Now, did I have that all figured out at the start of my career? Absolutely not. Right. Right. But right now, the real estate industry is the realm or the theater. I love that word. That's the theater that we're playing the game in, both you and I. Yep. Right. And a bunch of the people we work with, even though, you know, we're not waking up in the morning going, our God given talents. Or is real estate. Is he right? Yeah. Right. Like we were just meant to be in real estate because that's not true. We often talk about if the whole industry collapsed tomorrow and we had to start all over. (laughs) Right. Very well could. If we were in the coffee business, yeah, we would go about building a coffee business the exact same way that we've same way built a real estate business. If we were, if we were engineering, sell, if we were selling toilets, we would sell toilets with the same principles, the same core values, the same mission and vision. Totally, that we have right now. So the theater is somewhat irrelevant. It just happens to be that we're in a really good theater that plays well into our calling. Totally right, which makes it fun. Yep. It does. Yeah, I think about my own casting in the theater, to take this analogy further, getting to build top performing communities and getting people to challenge themselves, including me, and getting them to challenge me. That's my vocation. That's the thing that I like to do. And I look at all the companies and all the sports teams and all the things I've ever been involved with, even volunteer work, and it's like... Yep, that's the thread of continuity through all of it. If you went back and asked my buddies in high school, they go, hey, Ness hasn't changed a bit. He's still doing the same stuff. He's been doing high school, college, like all the way through. Yeah. But the theater does change. And 20 years is a long time to be in one theater for sure. And part of that is because, let's face it, real estate does have some significant and unique 
value proposition for people's lives. You know, like just as an offshoot, if you think about investments, and these are just facts, you can pull them up on National Association of Realtors or any other source you want. But the disparity between people who have to lease and a homeowner in terms of wealth over a long period of time is ridiculous. I mean, it's significant, you know, and and you think about like investing in stocks versus investing in real estate. Well, you can't live in a stock, right? You know, there's utility value in real estate. So all kinds of things we talk about on real estate. I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all. It's just that it doesn't have to be the passion, although for us, the occupation in the theater that we're in has significant wealth building avenues and opportunities for both the people that we serve, our clients and our team members, as well as us, which is right. To me, that's something to get excited about. If anyone's like, you sure do talk like you're passionate about real estate. (laughs) You know, there are parts of real estate that yes, I am passionate about because of how I see real estate change people's lives over and over and over and over again. It really does. Yeah. But that's, again, that's just the theater and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And the story of the bricklayers, I hope if there's one big takeaway from that, it's the fact that it's all a matter of perspective. It, it has everything to do with your attitude. It has very little to do with mm. industry. Well said. Right. So yeah. you can speak very passionate about passionately about the real estate industry because you've invested a tremendous amount of time into being an expert in the theater you've chosen to play the game in. Yeah. Right. And that has everything to do with your attitude. That was a conscious choice. Yeah. If you sat there at that Starbucks eight years ago and you had instead journaled about all the things you didn't like about real estate and Mm. all of the disconnects and you had a different attitude or a different perspective, you may not be here. That's a good point. And this podcast may not exist and we might not be working together. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and so it's, it's a perspective thing. Another thing I wanted to point out, and then we'll start to bring this home into some practical application, but a teaser for an upcoming episode where we have a couple people in mind for phenomenal guest speakers. Yes. Is this concept of first half of life, second half of life. So big. Which I think you stole from Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Yeah. And it's this idea that the first half of our life is about discovering who we are, what our gifts are, what our passions are. And And what our limits are too. That's right. And the second half of our life is about once we've discovered those things, then taking those and living those out in the world and being very purposeful in the work we're doing. So rich and so fulfilling. Which an interesting point is we say first half, second half of life. That's not necessarily a given that it's exactly half. No. That could take you 25 years and you may live till 90. Yeah. It could take you till you're 60 and you only live till you're 72. Yeah. Right. So don't hear like, oh, the first, you know, I'm going to live till I'm 80 and the first 40 years are going to be about this and the second 40. The reason I bring that up is because I would highly encourage what I I can't say it stronger, but highly encourage, plead with you to be on a path to discovering this if you're not in tune with it yet. Yeah. Right. Like the thing that's easy to miss, but I want to pull it out of that story you told is the fact that. You went and sat down at a Starbucks with a journal to go invest 45 minutes in the discovery process, not knowing when the payoff was going to come. Mm. And I think it's easy. We probably had a couple of people roll their eyes at, you know, the light shining down from heaven as your foot touched the bottom stair at 201 Milwaukee Street. <laughs> that actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> so if only it were that easy, right? right? But here's my bet. Without knowing the backstory before that story, there was a process of discovery that was happening oh. over a long period of time. And it wasn't just it was one day on a whim. No. And then I did 45 minutes of work and then <laughs> boom. It <laughs> was a, and you, you know my story, but it was an unbelievably long and painful and expensive 
process. Yeah. Riddled with bankruptcy and almost divorce and a lot of really, really, really bad, like dark stuff, heavy stuff. We right? need to so, get into that backstory yeah. another time because that's a story worth telling. But I just hear this. It takes work. Yeah. It oftentimes well, doesn't just hit us out of the blue. It's a muscle. It's a muscle that you have to exercise. And if you're not exercising it, it's going to be limp and atrophied and yeah. relatively useless. Or even more sinister, the world will decide for you. Mm. Oh, gosh. Right. And, and then you, you meet and see and hear people that have been in a job or occupation and never even thought about their passion, their vocation, either on this planet for their entire life. And it's probably the saddest story you, you could hear. And I know you had a couple of things. I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up here, but you had a couple of things on what do our listeners do? Like if they're listening to this going, man, this is amazing. I love the idea of job and then occupation and vocation, those three categories and the whole idea of, yeah, it's really about the who and the how, or maybe it's just about the who for you or just about the how, but it's not really about the what and you've identified that. What can they yeah. do? What yeah. can they go do after this podcast? Great question. This this will bring us home. I wrote something down that I love. My good buddy, Chuck Robb, uh-huh. is who I got this from. Yeah. He's a good old Louisiana boy from <laughs> down in the bayou. Nice. And his grandmother used to tell him, sprout where you're planted. Mm. And I wrote down three action steps coming out of today of, okay, how do I take this theory and put it into practice? And and this is the filter I wanted to look at it through is this idea of sprout where you're planted. Mm. Let me share this quote from Martin Luther King. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. Mm. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I get chills just so good reading that. Yeah. Right. And that is the essence of sprout where you're planted. Yeah. Right. Like this is where you are right now. So instead of focusing on what you don't like about this, or I don't love the work or I'm not passionate about it. Mm. And somehow you extrapolate that to mean you should go somewhere else. Well, that's not necessarily true. Right. There's probably something to be gotten here unless you hate the work that you're doing. So here's point number one. Yeah. Take inventory. This shouldn't take you very long. I bet you could do it in 20 minutes to maybe an hour. And I bet you suggest too to the listeners, don't overcomplicate it. No. I'm talking about a book and a pen. Yeah, right. Or just a blank sheet of paper and a pen at your kitchen table. Like it can be the Starbucks on Fillmore and Second. (laughs) When I say take inventory, it's putting in that work like you did. And, And I wrote down three things under take inventory. One is take stock of what your talents and gifts are. And be honest. Yeah. Chances are you've discovered some things about yourself Mm -hmm. up to this point based on the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. And by the way, quick side note, ask for help. Ask for outside perspective from your spouse, your significant other, bosses, managers, leaders, coaches, mentors, friends that you've worked with. Just something as simple as, hey, what do you see as my strengths? If I'm asking, what am I good at? Yeah. What my God-given gifts are, what my superpowers are. What do you see those as? Because they may see some things in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself. Or a good question for that too is, if you're asking somebody else or asking yourself, are there any points that you've seen me light up? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. we we had an. Ex- I'm not going to tell the story. But yeah, you had an experience with this. Totally, recently, totally did. Which gave both of us chills. Yeah, as we were incredible. You shared that with me, which is so cool. Yeah. Second part of taking inventory. So first is your strengths and talents. What are you good at? Mm-hmm. Second thing is what do you love doing? Right. And here's a better way of putting that. What makes you come alive? Which is similar to that. What, what makes, what you, makes light you light up? up? Yeah. Like of all the jobs that you've had. 
What's your favorite job? Yeah. What are the parts of the jobs you've had that you loved the most? Why was that? Yeah. Right. Because that's probably giving you some really strong keys as to work that you love doing. Yeah. And I love in the book, what is the name of it? It's John Maxwell book, Developing the Leader Within You. Oh, yeah. He uses three R's. I should have looked them up because here I am. I don't remember (laughs) what the three R's are. But the essence of what he was saying is, if you look at what are you great at, mm-hmm. what do you love doing? And then when you compare that up with work that requires those things to be successful in the role, yep. usually that's going to be pretty magical. Okay. The third thing is if you know what your strengths and talents are, if you know what makes you come alive and what you love doing, which by the way, you and I are big subscribers to the 70-30 rule. Yep. Another thing we stole from Landon. Yep. The 70-30 rule says at least 70% or more of the work you're doing day in and day out should be in line with things you love and things you're good at. And 30% or less should be things you hate or you're not good at. Yeah. Because there's going to be parts of everything you do that everything that you don't love. Yeah. So then the third thing is connect the dots. Where does or where could the things I'm good at and the things I love doing overlap with my current profession? Yeah. Now, if you can't connect the dots somewhere in there, that is probably a good indicator that you may need to look to make a change. Sure. And maybe you should be in a different profession. Go ahead. I was just about to say, like, yes. And by the way, I looked up the three R's while you were doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Requirement, return, and reward. Oh, so good. <laughs> I love John Max. Yeah, John Max is great. He's, he's the kind of the grandfather of leadership theory. But what I was going to say was, yeah, similar to what you were saying about the 70-30 rule, sometimes the 30% that that will feel like the bricklayer who was doing it as a job. And that's okay. That's probably a key concept that, that the listeners should know is that that's okay. And you said it, but I'll just reiterate it, that there will be times when that 30% grows <laughs> to 40, 50, 60, 70%. Maybe it's a warning sign. Maybe it's like the oil light going off on your dashboard. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe there's just seasons and there probably are seasons that you just go through no matter what, whether that's fatherhood, being a husband, being a wife, being a mom, being part of your job, whatever it is, there's seasons. I'm sure everybody can relate to that. There's seasons that you just feel like, ugh, like this, this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life necessarily. Which, which by the way, is not an excuse to cash out. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like it's not... It's not an excuse to go, nope, I'm constantly living in my 70%. And as soon as the 30% becomes 31 or 40 or 50 or whatever, I'm out. It takes a significant amount of wisdom to ascertain and to hopefully, like you're saying, take an inventory to eventually determine, yeah, this isn't a season anymore. This is actually the new norm and I'm not okay with it, which is, that's totally fine. But I think, I do think in today's day and age, you know, there's so many people that just, yeah, as soon as it's inconvenient or hard or difficult or challenging, then that's a pretty good sign I should just change. I'm like, nope, that's actually a sign that you should probably dig in. Most people nowadays, I find, and maybe I'm just kidding, but uh, too many people that, that they get to that point that you just described and they just give up way too easily and way too quickly. That's right. Like, like somehow that's okay, which it's not. And back to selling books, oftentimes, both of us having that shared experience, mm. oftentimes you get to the end of that and it's such a grind and it's so hard and yeah. nobody wants to do it. There's this tendency to like check out towards the end of the summer. Yeah. Right. And to just coast to the finish line rather than running hard all the way through the finish mm-hmm. line, which is why they always have the I want to win award. Yeah. But also I remember, you know, one of my mentors, and I'm sure you heard the exact same thing from some of your leaders as well, is I think this is a common part of that, that internship and that experience is the way you finish one thing has a lot to do with how you start the next thing. Yeah. So finish well. Yeah. Finish well because it's going to help you start whatever is next. Totally. Well. So good. Number two under takeaways or to-dos, which we can dump this into the show notes. 
work through a ranking exercise. Mm -hmm. I am huge on this idea of of what are your Mm non-negotiables and whatever it is you're doing or whatever you're going to do next. And it's this idea of if I slid you a blank piece of paper right now and I said, hey, Dave, I want you to describe your ideal career environment Mm -hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And then you just started a brain dump of what's my schedule like? Am I a W-2 employee or am I a 1099 independent contractor? Am I a solo entrepreneur? Am I at a big company or a small company or a medium-sized company? Mm-hmm. What's my role? Am I in production? Am I in leadership? Am I a consultant? How much fulfillment do I get from my work? How much fun am I having? How much autonomy do I have? That's right. What's the schedule like? How much travel? We could go on and on and on. Yeah. You could come up with probably two, three, four dozen things. Yeah. But this idea of non-negotiables is getting all of that down on paper and then sifting through it a second time mm. and crossing off everything that would be nice to have that you could live without. Mm. And then getting it whittled down to two, three, maybe four things mm-hmm. that I would call your non-negotiables because you look at it and you go, I have to have these things. And if I don't, the chances of whatever I'm doing working out long term are probably pretty slim. Yeah, the, the longevity of your ability to do it is compromised. That's right. Because every time you start somewhere new, even if it's in a similar industry and there's some transferable skills or experience that you have, yep. it's still new and you're the rookie all over again. Yeah. So there's value in continuity and getting this right by getting your filter right. Mm-hmm. And we actually have an exercise that we use during our interview process yep. that gives people 25 of the most commonly identified non-negotiables. Yep. And it asks them to sort through these and pick their top three. And it's really interesting what comes out in somebody's top three and why, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're also very subjective things. And then the third thing here is set and review goals. Because back to the bricklayer who was doing this as a job, Mm -hmm. right? We tend to just brush that guy aside like, what a loser. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You need to find your passion. Yeah, this isn't your Hey, you need to get your perspective and your attitude straightened out. <laughs> <Right. laughs> and the reality is, is, you don't. That's actually a great place to be where, to bring this full circle, back to that story you shared about one of the advisors that we work yeah. with. The reality is, you don't have to love the work to still get a ton of value out of it because this field that he's in, there's no denying you and I can just look at it and go, this guy really does have genuine talent Oh yeah, for the type of sale that he's doing day in and day out. Like he's really good at it. Yeah. And a ton of care for the people that he's working with. Yeah. His heart, his heart is so good. And you look at that and your advice to him, if I'm just stealing that is, Hey, focus on what the, you don't have to love the work itself. And and what that means is if you're really passionate and I'm just going to throw in a couple of examples. If you're really passionate about making something up here, working with foster children, Mm -hmm. your real estate career and the freedom and the ability you have to control your income, and there's no cap on your income, you can actually get really good at this, create a ton of capital and have a lot of discretionary income that you can A, donate, B, use as capital to start a nonprofit Mm -hmm. if you'd like to, Mm -hmm. or C, just pay your freaking bills so you can have a lot of time away from your occupation to go do your calling. Yeah, to go do your vocation. That's right. And so this gentleman shared some things with you where it's like, hey, real estate can be an amazing means to an end to really support that financially. Totally. And to support it from a freedom and autonomy standpoint, which is one of the reasons you love, you and I both love this is is the freedom, the autonomy, the earning potential, the environment that you're in is really conducive to actually doing some really amazing other things that have nothing to do with real estate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And so back to number three is 
you have to set goals. You have to work on your goals to know what those things are yeah. that you're passionate about. Even if it's something as simple as paying off student debt or getting a new car or taking this dream vacation that you have yeah. for yourself, your spouse, your family. Whatever. It could be a myriad of different things, but just take the time to figure out what your goals and your benchmarks are so that you can connect your work, whether you love the work or not. Yep. You can learn to love the work when the work you're doing that day is ultimately getting you where you want to go. And when you have that kind of clarity, it's so much easier to be passionate about something you may not intrinsically love. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yep. Because at, at the end of the day, it's all about the preferred picture of the future. Yeah. And you've got to be clear on what that is. Some people call it goals. Some people call it your big why. Some people call it the preferred picture of the future. Kind of like that because it's easier to answer for me. Like, what is my preferred picture of the future? May or may not get there. But this is what I would prefer. Like yeah. if, I, if I had a say in it, this is where I'm going. And so all these concepts that we're talking about, just wrapping up here, the, the concept of passion or not passion, the concept of job versus occupation, vocation, all of them hinge on you determining where you're going, what's your preferred picture of the future. So we both hope this has been helpful in unpacking that. Hopefully it's been alleviating. Hopefully some of the listeners have been maybe freed from the expectation of being passionate about what you do. And if you're listening, going, well, I am passionate about what I do. That's amazing. Keep rocking, keep yeah, going. If nothing else, hopefully this was really affirming. Yeah. For that yeah. Person. Hopefully you're going, man, this is, I'm even further along, which is fantastic. So we hope that it's helped and that it's unlocked some thoughts. Um, looking forward to being with you guys on the next podcast. We'll have some guest speakers that we've got teed up, which are going to be absolutely amazing. We're looking forward to that. So until then, have an awesome week. Peace out.